podcast was recorded on August 24th, 2017. The views and opinions expressed herein are as of the date recorded and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities. Such views and opinions may differ from those of DoubleLine Capital or of its affiliates and are subject to change without notice. DoubleLine has no obligation to provide any updates or changes. Welcome to The Sherman Show. I'm here today with my co-host, Sam Lau. Hey, hey. And today we have a special guest with us, uh, returning uh, podcast uh, uh, visitor, uh, Jeff Mayberry from the Macross Allocation Team. Hi, Jeff. Am I, am I the first return uh, guest? guest? Yes, yes. You, you could be the only return yeah. guest, though, yeah, yeah. depending on how these things go. But. Yeah, so uh, today what we wanted to do was talk a little bit uh, about markets, and so I uh, figured just bring in the team here and talk a little bit more directly about what we're seeing in the markets as you know we get uh, turn the corner into Labor Day and thinking about the last four months of the year. And so um, we, we decided to bring back Mr. Mayberry uh, to kind of talk about the team. But I think one thing that we haven't covered yet, which may be um, of interest to some of the listeners out there, is the evolution of our team, how, how our team has come together and, and what we do here on the Cross Asset. So um, you know, the co-host, Mr. Lau, doesn't really talk very much, so uh, I think we're going to put the focus on him today. So, uh, Sam. Other way around, bro. <laughs> no, no, no. No, you, no you're starting. You're All talking right. to you. So why don't you talk about how you and I started working together um, here at Double Line and um, you know, some, some of the projects we started working on early on and uh, how that led into kind of the development of the team. Yeah, no, I, I think that's a good place to begin. We, I guess shortly after... We moved over here to uh, Double Line. Let's just call it uh, in 2010. I think it was the first half of 2010. You were looking to gather some members and, and form your own little team, um, kind of in in the similar vein of what you were doing back at our old firm. So I know you were looking for for you know help on work on what we now call our fixed income asset allocation committee, where we. You know, use that template as as a way to manage many of our multi-sector fixed income strategies. And in addition to that, we're talking about potentially launching another type of commodity strategy, uh, commodity strategy for the the firm. Something that uh, went away from just fixed income, which you know, Double Line is is known for. So I think it was right around 2010 is when we began looking at it. And I remember you, it was kind of just like uh, jumping into the deep end of the pool for me. Um, you you were pretty busy you know, trying to get the uh, the asset allocation framework going. So with uh, with my background, I had previously been in non-agency mortgage-backed securities. And uh, a quick and dirty exposure into to commodities, you, you handed me several white papers. And then that was kind of my first foray into the commodity space. Um, jumping into ba- uh, the the commodity jargon, trying to get familiar with backwardation, <laughs> contangle, roll yield, etc. So, so did so. you actually read the papers? That was, um, you know, there were some the pictures in there. There, there yeah. were pictures. Yeah, there were some there were some yeah. pictures in there. But uh, yeah, that's the the running joke around here is that I don't really like to read. But uh, I did wade <laughs> through several of those white papers, and from there, that's when we started. You know, that that was kind of the first step. After that, you know, uh, I remember you know you you, you threw me into the uh, the Excel learning. 
swimming pool as well and had me build models to determine you know the the future roles based on various commodity indices so it was kind of just a a year-long perhaps uh tutorial or you know hands-on primer into the commodity space well i do remember too some of that too where you know we started using monthly data and i remember making uh or having sam pull together you know the role schedules on these things and like building all these kind of very big uh, databases on on all the commodities and uh you know, the first thing was, okay, let's just do monthly data. So we had this very nice, easy-to-use spreadsheet. And then I remember saying, okay, well, what does it look like if we do it, you know, kind of, um, you know, semi or bi-monthly, you know, like twice a month? And then and you're like, are you kidding me? Like, this is all just set up for monthly. And I'm like, what do you mean you only did it for monthly? Like, that's not very <laughs> robust. And so <laughs> I said, <laughs> right. So I do remember uh, when you're talking about the Excel deep end, uh, I, I don't think you thought at first that the, the Excel sheets went beyond one screen. Yeah, I mean, that was mostly uh, the VLOOKUP, and then I became famous for my four-screen across uh, spreadsheets that, that had to be run. But uh, I learned quickly that there is a, uh, a data limit on the amount of data you can download from Bloomberg on a monthly basis, which right. I started hitting pretty quickly because, you know, we started with one contract on uh, commodities, but you have to start expanding it out to two or three contracts down <laughs> to fully capture the role, and then you have 25 other commodities after that, so. Yeah. Um, so uh, so your background, Sam, you know, non-agency mortgages to commodities, that sounds like a big jump. Um, how was that transition? I mean, it was a lot of reading. <laughs> a lot of white papers. But, you know, there's a few things that carry over. You have uh, carry, for instance, you know, with, uh, with income in, in the fixed income land. With, with commodities, you have the, uh, the roll carry or the roll yield. Either it can be uh, positive in, in, you know, the best cases. And, you know, sometimes there's negative carry in, in, uh, that, roll ca- in, the, in that roll or in the, based on the shape of the curve. So it's one of those things that can – you find the – the commonalities and, and try to draw linkages between them. Well, that's one thing that uh, I've always tried to explain to people is that the commodity market is more akin to the bond market, really, than any other uh, market out there because of the term structure of prices and the like. Um, there's just a slightly difference uh, in volatility, of course, between <laughs> slight, the two. Slight. <laughs> right. So, uh, so uh, you and I started working together a bit on that. And then um, as time went on and we started doing more of the asset allocation stuff, um, you got more intimately involved into that. So uh, your background, you know, having uh, some some uh, exposure to economics obviously helped there. And then, um, you know, as time went on, we, we've hired a couple more folks. And one of them actually is um, the most senior uh, person in terms of exposure with the team is actually Mr. Mayberry, who's sitting across from me right now. So uh, Mr. Mayberry, why don't you tell him about your background, how you got on this part of the team, and then uh, we'll start chopping up on markets a little bit. All right. That sounds good. Uh, I used to run the risk portfolio, risk and uh, risk management and analytics side here at Double Line. Spent a lot of time talking with Mr. Sherman and Mr. Lau about uh, just markets in general, kind of what's going on in the world. And at some point, a few years ago, I decided that I wanted to move away from the risk side of things and move into the, um, you know, I guess more exciting, fun, fun stuff that, that goes on. Uh, Practitioner seat, perhaps. Yeah. 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 I mean, it was from the risk side, it was uh, sitting on the trading desk doing, you know, still doing some trades, talking to brokers, trying to figure out what's going on. But that I felt like it was a... 
it was a good opportunity to kind of move over and um, you know we were doing some exciting things working with smart beta and or we're starting to kind of dip our toes in the water there and you know you were happy enough to uh to port me over and that's kind of the way things are a double line where people shift between teams they not necessarily hit a wall but just a it, you can get into dip to different different ideas you have analysts who become portfolio managers and shift between risk side of things to um you know working on specific strategies or specific uh, sectors and so it just seemed like a natural progression yeah yeah, and um, so our team here, we, we have to dress each other by Mr., as you can see. It's Mr. Sherman, Mr. Lau, Mr. Mayberry, I guess. Uh, we're, we're pretty formal today. Um, but look, why don't you guys talk about some of your responsibilities, too, and uh, why why we should, you know, because we're going to talk about markets and some of the pitfalls and risks we see out there today. Um, you know, give give us a little bit of your um, your credence and uh, why, why people should believe in your credence and what you're talking about here. Um, what do you guys focus on day to day? Tell us more about outside of you know just using Excel and learning about roll yield. What else do you do, Sam? Yeah, I mean it's one of those few. We're one of the few groups, I guess, that have a pretty broad coverage with regard to different markets. Uh, what I find interesting in, in in what we do, and it's it's particular, particularly interesting when we go out and and face uh, external clients or prospects when our our sales guys trying to explain what we do, but. Um, we, we really wear a lot of hats here. So as I mentioned early on that, uh, you know, we have, of course, we have the commodity uh, strategies that we run here internally as well as uh, in, uh, externally as well. Um, so on that, as a day-to-day basis, you know, we're looking at, uh, and, you know, perhaps I'll speak for, for Mr. Mayberry here as well. You know, we look at the, you know, the, the daily performance of, of the strategies that we run. We do the, some of the daily tradings, make the investment decisions on, on both, you know, the the size and scale of the the types of trades that we'll do within that strategy, as well as managing some of the collateral underneath it from the fixed income perspective. Uh, additionally, Mr. Mabry mentioned the smart beta, you know, components that we're working on the equity side. You know, so with the early entrant that we had back in what was it, 2013, is when we first started taking a look and kicking the tires in this space, um, and eventually launching the strategy live in in October you know, of that same year. But uh, over that course of the period, it's, it's pretty similar in the sense that, you know, the commodity strategies that we run, as well as these equity strategies that we run, all are systematic. So a lot of the, the heavy lifting is done up front prior to launching these these strategies. But once they get rolling, a lot of the heavy lifting comes, you know, at the early part of the day when we're determining trade size and, and you know, the you know, other uh, parts of the the moving pieces within the within the strategies themselves. Yeah, I, I feel like the heavy lifting these days on those type of strategies is more having to write white papers and things and trying to address concerns. Uh, I don't I don't know about you, but uh, I always find it difficult to sit down at a blank computer and start crafting these things. It's really helping you know getting awareness and helping people understand the mechanics behind it and you know why they work, when they'll work, uh, and when you know. Potentially, when they won't work. Yeah. What under what scenarios? So, what about you, Mr. Mayberry? What do you do on a day-to-day basis around here at Double Line? Yeah, I think we're one of the few teams, and, and that, as as Sam said, covers the foray of equities, commodities, uh, all the fixed income sectors, and you know we are tasked with you know looking at, at charts and trying to help Mr. Gunlock with the. Uh, putting together his webcast and helping um, 
fostered the discussion from across the, the different groups at Double Line. Yeah. Yeah, it sounds like a lot of work. That's why there's four of us. <laughs> yeah, four, four, four of us to cover all of that. Well, um, you know, sp- speaking of that, too, um, you know, I know there's a lot of client interactions and things. So let's talk about things that we've been discussing with clients for the last couple of weeks. I know uh, every single review I've done recently, I mean, they're pleasant reviews, performance, no matter where you are in markets, is, is generally pretty positive. Um, but um, it's portending and, and foreshadowing what's to come. And so um, let's talk about, you know, kind of the, in general, the fixed income markets. Uh, where are you seeing opportunities in the marketplace right now? What, what is like, uh, or what areas are you finding to be the most attractive and why? Well, it's, it's certainly a hard time to, you know, kind of differentiate between, the se- I mean, the, the sectors have their, their pro, all have, have their pros and cons, but given where valuations are today across the fixed income universe, given the, the QE that happened, the, the growth in the, in the balance sheet uh, from the Fed and the ECB and the BOJ, that it's hard to uh, really get on the stump and say, this is where we should be invested in. Uh, the, you know, if you do look at the different sectors in the market, maybe the ones that have performed the uh, poorest uh, thus far are, are, you know, those are the ones that are bound to perform better going forward. You know, the reversion to the mean idea uh, would be one that I would, you know, if if you backed me in the corner and said, choose a sector, you know, maybe agency mortgages because those have underperformed investment grade corporates and obviously high yield and emerging markets and those sectors that it's, it's probably if you have to take a, st- a stab in the dark, that's probably a sector to to maybe recommend. So you're not you're not advocating the momentum trade and just continue to pile into local currency um, and high yield bonds and uh, loans and I guess I could just go on and on right. in credit here. Yeah. You kind of have to read the tea leaves and see you know and continuously monitor the developments within each sector. But I think that really speaks to what we do as a firm as well. I mean, you know, as people know, it's tough to find true value out there in the fixed income. Um, sector today, particularly if you're looking at a strategy that fits within the intermediate term bond space, where you know you want to have a, hand, a, a good handle on risk relative to you know the amount of income that you might be able to provide. So I think the way it speaks to our firm is that you know we have a history and just in, in taking a look at relative value, looking at portfolios as a whole, rather than just taking a look at each sector in its absolute and determining whether or not we should be adding to that. You know, instead, the way that we, you know, we, we try to focus on things is look at and see how it comprises and how the risk integrates within the entire portfolio. So a lot of, a lot of the ways when I, when I talk to clients, you know, I say that we'd like to look at the portfolio very broadly in two ways, you know, or as two parts, you know, the, the credit risk portion first and then the interest rate, you know, uh, risk portion as its counterpart. And then from there, we, you know, we make shifts in our portfolio using the various subsectors that fit within there. So, I mean, if you're, you're looking for, you know, what's, what looks like a good opportunity out there today, I think it's, it's really just good old fashioned, you know, diversification and having, you know, some allocation to, to the various parts of the credit market, but, you know, having, keeping an eye on, on that particular credit risk as well. Yeah, I think uh, what I've I've heard from clients recently is you know uh, the idea of oh well credit's doing so well um, you know default rates are low um, you know that you have this uh, accommodative yield levels out there in the marketplace and so 
you know, why wouldn't you just want to continue to load the boat up with high yield and emerging market debt and the likes? And so um, it, it's always a challenge when something's done extremely well. Um, you know, we, we tend to like to fade those kind of ideas. Remember, these are bonds. You know, the the goal is to get par back at maturity. These don't have infinite upside like in the equity market. And so, I think what I find interesting is, you know, really since the kind of bottom of the uh, risk assets back in February of sixteen, essentially Treasuries have been flat, right? Essentially generated, you know, it's, it's basis points of return. So um, again, just with the slight move up in yields. Uh, in those levels, and then and you kind of got eroded by or you took away your income. Uh, but when you look across the the risk spectrum, I mean, the riskier assets, the triple C high yields, you know, did something north of like thirty five percent. EMD's done like thirty percent. High yield has done, you know, and these are all cumulative too. Um, but uh, high yield's done like about a thirty percent as well. And I mean, how many times in your career, uh, Jeff, have you actually seen? You know, an 18-month return be 30% in fixed-income marketplaces without it being off the absolute lows of the lows of the right. lows. I was, right? I was like, well, we had, we had mortgages back in 2009. Those were up a lot. Those were up a lot, uh, yes, yeah. But, yeah, you don't you, you have that so much spread tightening that when you clients are talking to me and they're like, well, you know, where are we on the, on the credit cycle? And it's like, well, we're further, closer to the top than we were 18 months ago, that's sure. for sure. Right. And... Given, you know, as Sam said, you know, we have to look at the or we look at the sectors in which you look at them on a risk reward basis. And given that spreads are where they are, not not necessarily at all time tights, but they're pretty close that you have to you, you lost a lot of that opportunity for upside already. So, you know, it, it maybe it doesn't make sense to add to your high yield position now. Maybe it makes sense to, to kind of take a step back and know that. You know, if you can write out the um, write out kind of the downside that's gonna that's gonna happen at some point. Mm-hmm. That you know you can you can be a little bit safer now. You're not losing as much um, as much yield as much yield pickup because spreads are so tight. That maybe it makes sense to kind of to, to take a step back and be a little bit uh, safer. Yeah. Well, I think you know the the biggest issue though, and this is the big conundrum, is that the reason spreads are so tight. Well, one is obviously the you know some of the money supply out there through the ECB's program today, but I also you know looking at kind of the indicators that we think about for recessions and think we're not seeing any of them. Right. The, the U.S. economy is still growing. Um, you know, it is growing at the constant level of 2%, which always seems to be the number it grows at anymore. Um, but it is growing. And we have our you know, dashboard of economic indicators that you know, you've looked at over the years, Sam, and helped build those out. And none of them are really flashing red signals. Um, and so the issue is, is that uh, you got to be careful here in this, you know, because you, you, you still want to be biased to have some credit. And most of our portfolios do have still that credit tilt. Uh, but it's done in a different manner, right? Right, and it's trying to find parts of the market that aren't as heavily trafficked in, um, that are also you know kind of off the run type of securities, things like infrastructure, um, where we've we've had uh, Damien and and Andrew on on the Sherman show before, um, you know, talking about those things, 
or things like that are you know not there, there's not ETFs on them like ABS securities. Like, I guess there is a CMBS ETF, although it's it's not really a good really good piece of the market. It's not representative of the overall market. And so what we've been trying to do is 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 be selective in looking at taking some credit risk out there. Um, because again, we don't see these recessionary indicators, but doing it in that kind of, uh, I hate to say non-traditional, it sounds like you're, you're going outside of um, you know, the realms of typical investments, uh, but doing the things that are less trafficked in, right? Yeah, I mean, like even like the bank loan sector that we invest in, we're, we try to stay away from the kind of the, the indexy names, the, the top 100 biggest names. And so we try to, try to move down uh, away from those to try to pick up a little bit more yield, take a take a little bit different view of of that sector or, or that underlying uh, securities. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing, too. I mean, we're talking about recession indicators and how they might affect, you know, the, the credit tier. Is that a word? The credit side of fixed income here, you know, the high yields, perhaps, you know, some of the emerging market corporate credits, you know, the bank loans, et cetera. And, you know, on a fundamental basis, they seem sound uh, just at, without, you know, again, a recession. But when it comes, but when, when it, it comes, comes, that's yeah. when uh, you kind of have to strap right. in and uh, and uh, make sure you're safe uh, from the other part of the portfolio that I talked about previously, which is the interest rate risk part. Right. So, but, so Jeff had mentioned something about that interest rate side, saying that you know he kind of thought perhaps agency mortgages may be a little cheap today, and, and they've definitely been the laggard on on the um, on the U.S. Uh, fixed income sectors of the market. But the question people are saying is, why well, are they cheap for a reason? Um, is this because of the Fed's balance sheet? So maybe you could talk about some of the analysis on the Fed's balance sheet and what you think the impact of this normalization process will be um, in the uh, agency MBS space. Yeah, it's certain we've looked at it, and you know, certainly the Fed has been very upfront about their pace of. I mean, they're not they're not selling mortgages. They're just not going to be reinvesting as much of the paydowns that they get. Right, that's but that's huge relief. That's right, and, and, and that's that's, that's the so. funniest thing. It's like everybody thinks it's this massive selling, but the amounts aren't even equivalent to what they're already reinvesting each month. Right, that's right. Yeah, and even when they get to like the highest cap, uh, we've we've you know people have come in. You've had people come in and talk to us about what the Fed's plan is, and you look at it, and there's still there's still a fairly wide gap on. Kind of how much they can reinvest, and it doesn't seem like when they when they when they announced it, the market didn't even move. It was like a, a big non-event. Obviously, um, you know, and that was like that was a June Fed meeting. That right? was in June. Yeah. But once they start unwinding or or not reinvesting, uh, certainly that that's a potential volatility point. Um, whether that's in September or December or um, you know some point in 2018, but it, it's certainly a um, the market has has seen it as like a non-event, uh, just and that's what the Fed wants, right? They've that's why they talked about it in June. They they front ran their own idea right. so that people can get comfortable with it. So when it actually starts, hopefully nothing happens. Oh, I wouldn't say it's front running the idea. They're they're trying to be transparent, that, right? Yeah. Um, although I I would question some of the transparency uh, or the behavior if it is indeed transparent. So we have this balance sheet and wine coming up or at least the beginning of it, likely to start in October. Um, we have, uh, so that's continued tightening, right, in the fixed income markets, right? Um, you have the Bank of Canada tightening. You have the Bank of England, although they pause, they're tightening. Um, you have at least the Japanese, they're committed to easing 
probably for the foreseeable future, if not in our whole lifetime. Uh, but what's going on with the ECB? This is this is the big, I think, conundrum and, and could be one of those market-moving events. So um, what do you think? Uh, you know, We're sitting right before Jackson Hole. The podcast won't come on until after, so we're going to kind of nail you down. What do you, what, do you th- what do you think the ECB is? Do you think that uh, uh, Mr. Draghi is going to come out and say something this weekend and try to tilt towards some more hawkish rhetoric or at least pull the foot off the accelerator a little bit on the bond purchases? I mean, there are. They're kind of in a tough spot right now. I mean, some of the charts that we've been taking a look at, they're running out of things to buy, right? I mean, I think that really becomes an issue when you can only, what was it, maybe? You can buy up to a third of the issuance by by sovereign entities. So, I mean, the way I kind of think about it, though, is they can rewrite those rules and just say, okay, we're going to buy half, up to half. Right, right. We're going to buy up to three quarters. We're going to buy up to 100% of these sovereign energies. But, but, but uh, the Bundesbank, the Bundesbank, <laughs> that's what everybody says. Oh, the Germans aren't going to allow it. Well, the Germans didn't want any of this in the first place, right? Well, they, they like the euro because they like the uh, the cheap currency that they're using there but uh, and the cheap labor. But, um, yeah, they can rewrite the rules, one. But uh, I think more importantly, too, is that the problem they have is the strength of the euro. Right, That's the right. euro. Even when Draghi came out and spoke about a month ago, um, trying to talk down the currency, it had the opposite effect. And so, I think the the market's kind of realizing that they are pinned into a corner unless they, as you said, Sam, rewrite the rules. You know, so uh, that's going to be challenging. So let, let's go to really what people want to hear about. Let's talk about the equity market, right? Let's talk about the valuation of that. I don't think a day goes by where we don't get a question about. Uh, this indicator says overvaluation, or this indicator is broken. Um, what are some metrics, uh, Jeff, that you like to look at when thinking about the equity market? Certainly, the CAPE ratio comes to mind. Uh, mm. That's something that we, you know, get asked about very frequently, and uh, you know, it's crossed. It's a depending on your 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 calculation, and you know, people have all these different tweaks to kind of make it. Uh, apply to today's markets or what they think applies to today's markets. Or apply to their uh, scenario that they want to see. <laughs> That's right. right. So, you know, kind of no matter what, how you kind of tweak it, it's, it's high. And, you know, the kind of uh, more... So what does that mean? What does that mean? So, like, we hear these valuation metrics are high. And I, I hear that these metrics are broken because they're high and, and we haven't had a market meltdown. Uh, wh- what does it mean, you know, in simplistic terms when valuation is high? I would say that that means that your prospect of future returns is lower than if prices were lower. Okay. All right. No, I mean, it's, it, it's, 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 it's amazing how some people forget that because they want to use those timing signals. Everybody wants – it's the get-rich-quick thing, you know, the Powerball, when you're plus million dollars you know, in one, one full swoop uh, versus, you know, just trying to think about what you're doing is borrowing from the future. Um, but what, what does it say at these levels, the CAPE ratio, and let's say on the U.S. equity market, for instance? Well, it's only been above 32 other – this is the third time it's occurred. Uh, one time it was in, in the, the kind of tech bubble, and it went from 30 to 45. So even though it's at 30 oh, – the other time was uh, right before the Great Depression. Yeah. So not, not great uh, – not great market outcomes from from passing thirty, but you did in in the tech bubble get from thirty to forty five ish. Yeah, and so that's a fifty percent return. That's right, right? just so on multiple expansion just itself. Right, you, you're at thirty doesn't mean you should sell. Right, uh, it, you know, as we said, the doesn't look like there's a recession. We don't we're not seeing any recession indicators out there. So maybe you can still you can still hold on to your U.S. equities. They're still 
if we get this 2% per year GDP growth, and you know, you can still kind of grind along some returns in, in the stock market. And one of the things that we've been talking about too, you know, over the the past uh, few months to a year is just you know the run up in U.S. equities since uh, you name it, uh, March 2009, or even since 2010, since 2011, since 2012 has just been phenomenal. So it's one of those things where perhaps you know you don't need to sell all of your U.S. equity holdings, even if you are worried about a turn in valuation given the 30 you know Schiller P/E ratio today. But you know, perhaps you peel off some of the gains that you accrued and, and took, you know, over those years. Well, where do you put them? I mean, do you just put them in the mattress? What do you do with them, Sam? Diversification. It's, it comes back to diversification again. It's. I mean, you can take a look at some of the. You know, we've been talking about it. You know, for the better part of this year, where you know there's other equity markets out there who that are positive on the year, but nowhere near the same amount of return that you've seen in U.S. equity markets. So. Cumulatively, you know, Cumulatively saying, you know, yeah. yeah, yeah. If you take a look at them, you know, both on you know just the outright performance as well as uh, val- the various valuation metrics, you know, you know, perhaps you can you know find some value in those other markets and peel some off from the U.S. equities and put them into let's say Europe or emerging markets and uh, participate in you know in and just diversify out your your equity side of your portfolio as well. I mean, yeah. we do it in fixed income. For our own portfolios internally, you know, again, we invest across you know the U.S. and emerging markets and developed markets. You know, we recommend the same thing for your equities. Yeah. Um, so you're telling me the fixed income markets seem a bit, you know, they're they're not screamingly overvalued, but they're a little bit rich. Um, the U.S. equity market looks a little bit rich. Um, Europe is still kind of closer to those longer term averages. It's, it's it's slightly rich, but nowhere near the magnitude relative to history of the U.S. Um, and your big advice is diversification. That's what you're telling me. I would say that that's always going to be our advice for no matter what <laughs> scenario you're in, diversification. Yeah. Timing markets is extremely difficult, especially if, when you're talking about timing from cash into investments, into cash, into investments. You know, talk about whipsaws there. Yeah, but so what you're recommending here is you know, some of the stuff that looks richer than others is to peel it off. A little bit, and maybe deploy it in these cheaper assets like you know emerging market equity, um, European equity, um, you know perhaps you know some some agency mortgages for some of your um, yeah, interest rate exposure that you want in your bond side. Um, what else is interesting out there? What else are you guys seeing in the marketplace today? Well, there's one asset I guess if you're going to say that it's cheap. I mean, it's it could be commodities. Yeah, and when I talk about commodities, I don't I'm not talking about gold. As, a, as an asset class, as, a, as one single investment to represent your commodity exposure. I'm not talking about, uh, you know, some type of WTI crude oil trade either, you know, but just looking at commodities as a basket. I mean, it's, it's hard to argue that, uh, you know, there's, there's an asset class out there that's not, or commodities are an asset class that are out there that aren't cheap. You know, it's, well, at least they've been down for how many years in a row, right? I guess we, we had a positive commodity market last year. Correct. Uh, what I told people is it's commodities finally got their day in the sun, and they did exactly the same return as the S&P 500. So way to go, commodities. The one time you finally <laughs> actually perform. Uh, but they actually, you know, they've been down year to date, uh, been bouncing, you know, over the last, uh, this, this thir- uh, during the third quarter. Um, they've had some, some good run there, too. But um, I guess it's just this whole thesis of buying things that have been out of favor. Yeah, that's definitely the way we like to invest at Double Line. That's mm-hmm. kind of from the top down. What people uh, 
that's the kind of the viewpoint. You buy what's cheap. Right. <laughs> and, you know, maybe oil doesn't go to $100 a barrel again. Yeah. Maybe you're kind of at, the, at a new plateau, but certainly it helps with your diversification. Yeah. Well, um, okay, so we've talked uh, diversification, diversification, and then uh, you covered what, Sam? Diversification. diversification. Yeah, so um, so valuation in the market is, is relatively high. Um, and I, I guess you know the, the big uh, the big uh, push here from the cross asset team is um, you know try to rotate into some things that are a little bit cheaper. Um, make sure you're doing your fundamental analysis. You know, make sure that you're not turning a blind eye and just chasing uh, returns. Yes, momentum is your friend uh, in every market, um, but it's your friend until the bend at the end is what they like to say, right? Um, and so you have to be careful and selective. And so. Um, you know, again, risk, risk. You don't eat risk. You don't eat risk-adjusted returns. Um, but it's the thing that makes you sleep better at night. And so, um, okay. Well, we're going to keep it short and sweet here. We got a little more background on, on the team here today. Uh, we talked a little bit about the markets, and um, I think uh, we want to uh, have another uh, round of uh, Sherman says, Mr. Mayberry, and so. So usually uh, Sam gets to pick the, the words in the word association, but today we're going to turn around on him and have him play uh, with with me today. It's and bizarre world. Today. Yeah, yeah, we're, we're just world. yeah. It, it, you know, it's the end of summer. You know, we got a week away from Labor Day. Let, let's let's make it a little bizarro. So uh, Mr. Mayberry's here, and he's put together the list of words today for Sherman says. So Sam, I think you know the rules. You created the rules. Um, don't break them. Um, but um, I guess uh, Mr. Mayberry is going to start off by alternating questions, and they're one-word answers, Sam. One-word answers. I know you always right. criticize right. everybody for it, so let's see if you can actually do it. He says this is his favorite part of the uh, podcast, but we'll see if from the other side right. whether it's still is or not. Okay. And given that this is a markets-based podcast today, I'm going to ask some of your quick opinions on different assets or asset classes. Okay. Uh, so we'll start with Mr. Sherman. Mr. Sherman, uh, tell me about the two-year. <laughs> oh, it looks tight. <laughs> yeah, it looks really tight. All right, Mr. Lau, uh, ten-year. Belly. Uh, <laughs> okay, I mean that was that was very prescient. <laughs> okay, we're gonna go. <laughs> I'm gonna say tight again. <laughs> talk about a range, like man, yeah. the ten-year definitely. Go ahead. Well, I would like to point out that when I was on the Sherman show earlier. Uh, we were talking about rising rates, and rates have fallen 40 basis points since then <laughs> yeah. from the 10 years. So, so as Sam told you earlier, market timing is hard. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, revisit that podcast if, uh, <laughs> if rates start to rise. Right, right. Okay, we'll go back to Mr. Sherman. Let's go uh, investment grade. Uh, investment grade credit? Yes. Yeah. Uh, really very rich. High, Mr. Lau, high yield. Tight. I, that's, I, I just want, it's hard to keep these things in one word. One well, word. We, we made the joke earlier like, earlier this week about uh, market update, and I said market update rich. 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 Yeah. Right. Yeah. And he said we could just we could summarize that in about one second. That's right. Yeah. Okay, Mr. Sherman, CMBS, also known as commercial mortgage-backed securities. Um, interesting. Mr. Lau, residential mortgage-backed securities. Opportunities. Since it's boring, <laughs> they don't move. Yeah, uh, Mr. Sherman, bank loans, covenant light, 
Mr. Lau. That is one word. It's a dash. I, yeah, it's a dash. Well, I think so you already I, lost the one word okay. game, so it doesn't even matter. <laughs> okay. okay, Mr. Lau, seal those. Collateralized loan obligations. Yeah. Don't say tight. Oh, man. Floating. LIBOR. Let's just say LIBOR. <laughs> LIBOR on the move. Okay, Mr. Sherman, emerging markets fixed income. Opportunities. Right. It's disparate, you know. Mr. Lau, developed credit, developed country, fixed income. Oh man, dollar currency. <laughs> I think he's just. I think he's not giving you a market view. He's right. just giving oh, so you he's giving the market fundamentals. <laughs> no, first thing that comes to your first mind. thing that comes to your mind. He he's going back to those those all those primers I gave him. <laughs> okay, let's go. EM equities. Increase allocation. U.S. equities. Diversify. Uh, let's go oil. Oh, man. That's not mine. <laughs> That's depressing. <laughs> what about gold? Upside. Okay, let's go, Mr. Sherman. Burrito. <laughs> Lunch. <laughs> Mr. Lau Taco. Lunch. Okay, Mr. Sherman. Steve Young. Steve Young. Oh, Niners, man. Okay, Mr. Lout. Brett Favre. Oh, man. Oh, this is a tough one. It's his hero. I know. Used to be hero. <laughs> what if he's still number four? He's still probably still your hero. Yeah. He was four, but uh, <laughs> if he was in green. What if I said Aaron Rodgers? Hero. Okay. All right. Let's go. Mr. Sherman, destiny. Fate. And Mr. Lau, Labor Day. No white clothes after Labor Day. All right. Well, that uh, that that is one of Mr. Lau's favorite sayings: uh, not to wear white after Labor Day here out on the West Coast. So, with that, we are going to we're going to end the Sherman Show today. Um, it's a little off off color a little bit today. Um, again, we're at the indulgence of summer, but we appreciate everyone tuning in. Uh, we're going to come back uh, after Labor Day refreshed and, and ready to really focus on uh, tackling some uh, interesting guests as well. So, again, on behalf of the co- my co-host, Sam Lau, I want to thank everybody for listening to The Sherman Show. And as always, uh, we prefer your feedback. Please rate the podcast. Don't be afraid to rate this one lower if you didn't find this as entertaining uh, because of Mr. Mayberry. It's probably more entertaining. (laughs) Okay. But, uh, again, feedback is always welcome, warranted. There's topics you guys want us to discuss or guests you'd like us to have. Uh, Please drop us a line at feedback or, I'm sorry, info at doubleline.com. So, again, thanks again, everybody, for listening. presentation represents DoubleLine's intellectual property. No portion of this presentation may be published, reproduced, transmitted, or rebroadcast in any media in any form without the express written permission of DoubleLine. DoubleLine has no obligation to provide any updates or changes. To receive permission from DoubleLine, please contact media at DoubleLine.com. 
Neither DoubleLine nor any of its affiliates makes any representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of the statements or any information contained in this podcast and any liability therefore, including in respect of direct, indirect, or consequential loss or damage is expressly disclaimed. DoubleLine is not providing any financial, economic, legal, accounting, or tax advice in this podcast. The receipt of this podcast by any listener is not to be taken as constituting the giving of investment advice by any DoubleLine entity or individual to that listener, nor to constitute such person a client of any DoubleLine entity. The portfolio risk management process includes an effort to monitor and manage risk, but does not imply low risk. Copyright 2017, DoubleLine Capital.